0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Hey Kids Comics.
1: I'm Andrew. I'm Mike. That's who we are. This is what we do. Didn't we try that last week and we decided we should delve into more information?
0: Yes. But I'm just right reading what I've written here without any thought to actually it making sense. I was just following the script tonight, whereas normally we've gone off script by this point. Anyway, that's because I'm very... Very, very sleepy. Hey, Lou, we just went off script. Yes, we did. Uh, Before we begin today, uh, I'm not going to do emails today because we're covering five issues on a regular basis for the next couple of weeks. But before we begin, I do want to mention that a number of people, not least amongst them Luke Giaconetti, Tom Panarisi and Michael Bailey, all mentioned I Like Ike as being the campaign slogan for Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was elected President of the United States in 1953 and served until 1961. Thank you very much for that, ladies and gentlemen. I say ladies. I presume none of those three that I mentioned are ladies. Well,
1: the one of them is secretly a lady. Possibly. Dude
0: looks like a lady. Mm. Um, I remember I Like Ike from an early Lee Ditko Spider-Man story, where Spider-Man slags somebody off by saying, I bet you still wear your I Like Ike button. Okay. That's, that's my knowledge of that particular Fair presidential enough. election, given that I wasn't alive in 1953. Mm. And depending when in 1953, neither was my mum... 6-7-W. Classified top secret subject is...
1: Hey, kids, comics!
0: Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Faster. Please to welcome you all back to the second chapter in the Night trilogy that began with Nightfall and continues here into Night's Quest. Night's Quest is the red-headed stepchild of the Night storyline. Whilst the whole story, under the catch-all umbrella title of Nightfall, was adapted to other media and successfully so, this storyline has been given short shrift the overall story is broken into two parts. Night Quest the Crusade, focusing on Jean-Paul Valley taking over the mantle of the bat from an incapacitated Bruce Wayne, and Night Quest the Search, which focuses on Bruce and Alfred's search for Sean Duncan solving, and of course, Bruce's search for himself. We covered Nightfall in, was it five? Or was it four? Was it five? have been six I really oh. don't remember at this point but they were epic episodes oh, yeah. um, just before summer wasn't it we finished them off for summer yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we went and did couch potato so if you wish to go back and listen to those I heartily encourage you to do so uh, some of our best reviewed episodes oh, the nightfall ones yeah uh, and also go back and reread the story it's better than you remember it unless you remember it being
1: good good yes. but then you read it and it's like a... oh it isn't it, it, yeah well when you're 12 and you read something it's like oh this is amazing and then you're back to read it and it... everything i read when i was 12 is amazing now. okay what about the shows you watched
0: well all right i'll grant you night riders looking a bit ropey nowadays <laughs> yeah. but i still like the car Anyway, the novel by Denny O'Neill completely eliminates the Night Quest part of the storyline, instead focusing mainly on the Bruce and Alfred portion, which works fine for the novel, which chooses, and rightly so, to make Bruce the central through line of the narrative. This gives very little space to Jean Paul, and it's a testament to O'Neill's talents as a writer that, in a few chapters he does devote to him, he makes his fall into the darkness and his rising insanity credible. The auto adaptation by Dirk Max for the BBC at least includes the magnificent Joker storyline where the joker wishes to make a death of the batman movie but still reduces the jean paul aspect of the storyline down to around 25 minutes of story time as you can see given that the storyline covers nearly 40 issues of the main bat books of the time not counting annuals and specials this is a significant amount of the story that's missing When you also add to the equation that none of Night's Quest has ever been trade paperbacked, unlike the first and third act, Night's Fall and End respectively, then this is an era of Batman that has remained largely unexplored. Do you know those two trade paperbacks are numbered 1, 2 and 3? Nightfall part 1, Nightfall part 2 and then Night's End is part 3. Completely skipping Night's Quest. Totally. Did that happen? Uh, not according to the trade paperback collection. Yeah, there, well, it probably didn't happen now. No. Uh, we felt... I say we. I felt that this balance needed redressing. The Jean-Paul era of Batman was a fine time to be a Bat fan, whereby DC attacked head-on the changing comic book marketplace and gave the reader a Batman that they thought they wanted. It was a masterfully done marketing scheme, and to this day, I and the Knights books are a textbook definition of how to handle a comic book crossover correctly. That's great alliteration, isn't it? Uh, Our reading order for this comes from Wikipedia, which, as we all know, is always right... So, uh, if anyone has a more cohesive reading order, DC Comics don't, uh, we'd love to hear it. We'll be covering Night's Quest The Crusade first, uh, and then be doing a couple of separate episodes towards the end for Night's Quest The Search. We'll also cover Robin, in depth as usual this week, because it's part of the main storyline this time around. And briefly after that, until around issue 7, when it becomes part of the main story again. Along the way, we'll also be looking at issues of Superman, Catwoman and Justice League Task Force and you can't wait can you oh no is this one of those that you're really not looking forward to I'm really not looking forward to it have you read any of these this month yeah I've done notes have you yeah and you slacked me off before I'm very impressed that you've done notes Night Quest kicked off properly with Detective Comics 667 cover dated October 1993 but in actuality coming out on August 31st 1993 why didn't you lie um because do you really want to know this Okay. Back in the day, to keep comics on the newsstands for longer so they had a better chance of selling, they would cover date them three to four months in advance. So then they would go on the shelf and they came out, but they would stay on the shelf for three or four months before the newsstands took them off. Fair enough. They don't Empire do that, but do it a month in advance. Yeah, Empire does it a month in advance. They don't do it that far in advance anymore. The cover by Kelly Jones is, well, it's odd, isn't it? Not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah. It's a full-on shot of the new Batman. Full frontal, you might say. But the proportions are very off, Yes, he, he has huge shoulders and biceps, but tiny hands. Little tiny hands. Look at my tiny Look hands. Look at my tiny hands. I'm going to scratch you with my tiny hands. <laughs> like a dinosaur. What? It's eye-catching in terms of its colour scheme, but a funny-looking cover in every other respect. He's also got lots and lots of ribs. It's
1: Kelly Jones.
0: Yes. Hmm. How does his belt stay on? It just looks like it's stuck on with Velcro, though. <laughs> Maybe it is. It's, it's entirely possible,
1: yes. Look at my tiny hands and Velcro packs.
0: <laughs> Maybe that's why he has to have them there and not all the way around, because <laughs> the belt doesn't go all around his waist. Maybe he couldn't reach with his tiny, stubby Arnold Schwarzenegger hands. The story is called Wild Wild East... And was written by Chuck Dixon penciled by Graham Nolan and inked by Scott Hanna Adrienne Roy coloured and John Costanza letter Darren Vincenzo was the assistant editor and Scott Peterson was the editor Bob Kane is credited in all these books as having created The Batman The story opens with a family of blonde-haired blue-eyed Indiana natives oh, Indiana. holidaying
1: yes. I thought it said Indian
0: No The story opens with a family of blonde-haired blue-eyed Indiana natives holidaying in Gotham
1: why would you do that?
0: Do what? Holiday
1: in Gotham. It, it sounds like a fun place on the brochure.
0: What, do they advertise it, come to Gotham, get
1: killed? No, no, see, they actually take photos of Metropolis and try to pass it <laughs> to Gotham. <laughs> and put them in by mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fair um, The family are deciding to take
0: a shortcut through the park. If you can't guess what happens next, you've never read a Batman comic before, or indeed seen any Death Wish movies or any episodes of The Equalizer. Of course, they get mugged. These people may as well just be wearing huge mug me hats. Batman shows up and kicks the crap out of them. He tells the father, Get out of the park. Don't come back. Nice. He worries that since Bane, there has been no one who can challenge him. Is there no one on this planet who can challenge me? Of course. A quick scene transition and we meet people who are in no doubt about to challenge the new Batman. Albeit probably not too much. A southern cowboy robs the New Jersey Savings Bank. To his surprise, the bank is already being robbed by himself. Whoa. Whoa it's like the Twilight Zone. Where we're Bruce Willis Yeah, where that. Bruce Willis phones home by mistake and speaks to himself. Turns out the other bloke is his long lost twin. Uh, Absolutely. me all the time. Yeah, yeah. And they are both heading to Gotham City. What a coincidence. Mm. Back at Wayne Manor, Jean Paul wakes from a night. Wait. Back at Wayne Manor, Jean Paul awakens from a nightmare in which the Order of St. Dumas tells him he is to become a demon if he is to control Gotham. He heads down to the cave where he finds that Harold, before disappearing, has discovered a tunnel from the old abandoned Gotham Railway transit and created a fully equipped bat train to get him into Qu- Gotham far quicker than the <laughs> Batmobile. Can't we just point out at this point that the Bat Train is almost as cool as the Spider Mobile? <laughs> Only almost Only almost, because nothing is as cool as the Spider Mobile. Oh, no, no. The Trigger Twins show up at Dirty Dan Doyle's outfit in Gotham after hearing he's the Numbers King of East Gotham. Does that just mean he's very good at maths? Yes. Excellent. No one can beat him. No one can beat him. He's better than yours. Is he a mathlete? Yes. Excellent. They kill two of his guards and are about to rip him off when he offers them a job. A good old-fashioned gunfight. The twins decide they could either take this money and be looking over their shoulders all the time, or take the job and make more money in a night. They take the job. Batman takes the Bat Train out for a spin. Because he's memorized the train schedules, he misses the oncoming traffic and hits nearly 150 miles an hour. More power! He laments the spur seat, which is a cue to see what Tim Drake, aka Robin the Teen Wonder, is up to. Turns out not much since Jean Paul has bricked up the entrance to the cave. The Trigger twins take on Manny Deach, who has been hauling in on Doyle's action, and the only way it can be solved is with an exchange of lead. Ditch comes out of this badly, by which I mean dead. Batman, however, hasn't memorized the train schedule too well, because as he rounds a corner, he finds himself hurtling towards one with only one second to impact. Okay. It's a very dramatic cliffhanger. Yes. Did you do you actually have notes for this particular issue? I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just forget the first one. Do what? Well, forget the first one where you thought that the Indiana natives were Indians. Indian. Yeah. <laughs> Blonde hair blue eyes all wearing preppy clothes
1: and you oh, that, thought they were Native was, uh, Americans because they look Indian <laughs> oh, oh dear man. right okay yes. page three yes oh big, look numbers big long splash page page numbers yes there are page numbers in this comic right. watch out it's Batman he's going to scratch us he does look like a. He's,
0: he's, he is wearing the implausibly spiky gloves of death Bro. for this storyline
1: fear me <laughs> Fear me! Scratch! Swear to me! He's like a camp Batman. Camp man. <laughs> he's not a camp Batman at all! He scratches people, right? Turn to the next page. <laughs> and he is scratching him. He doesn't scratch him, he gouges off half of his face! By scratching
0: him? Yeah, that's more than a scratch. If you actually have a look at the sheer amount of blood on the implausibly spiky gloves of death, he's just ripped that guy's jaw off. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm going to take his jaw oh. oh. Yeah, I got it. Yes. Yes. Uh, page five counter. Yes. Get out of the park and don't come back. Get out of the park. Don't come back. Don't come back to this public park. <laughs> this public park that's open to everyone. Don't come back. Yeah, I don't think you thought that through. No. To be honest with you. I don't want to see you in my public park. Leaving your mug me hat on the floor. <laughs> buy mug me hats and go you can get me for free do they when, yeah. the, when you get
0: off the train on the yeah. plane you have a mug me hat <laughs> the joker shot me and all I got was this lousy t-shirt all I got was this lousy wheelchair. Yeah. oh
1: <laughs> not anymore no right okay the bat train the bat train am I the only one who thinks it's just a stupid vehicle
0: well see I, I quite
1: like it in
0: the sense that it's a train! And it's Batman's! So that in and of itself makes it pretty damn How come cool. I've never seen Batman use it before. Wait, Because it does establish that the train tracks run through um,
1: a lesser used part of the Batcave that perhaps Bruce just never bothered exploring. So, so the train station runs through a part of a Batcave? Yes. Right, and no one's thought to go, what's this station here?
0: It's an old abandoned train station, because it does actually say on page 11 does Wayne even know about it? Now, I presume that he did because there is a couple of issues of Legends of the Dark Knight, if memory serves, where they established that his great-grandfather was running slaves out of Gotham so that they could be free, And he did this on a train That ran underneath Wayne Manor so that people didn't know where it was coming from. So essentially, Chuck Dixon here is just playing into established bat continuity. Fair enough. So it's entirely possible that the train tracks were laid and designed by great grandfather Wayne and therefore they were never on any official plans or anything because obviously he didn't want people knowing that he was freeing
1: slaves. That's just just me no prizing this. Fair enough. Okay. But it still shows same train tracks as trains and monorails I yes. was shown at the end of this Yes. so you can't have two of them going up the same way well as he as he learns yeah. to his cost
0: in the cliffhanger ending you can't
1: get off you can't stop it anywhere except for a designated train station <laughs>
0: <laughs> you think Batman just pulls in her designated train station before he can get off? Yeah,
1: you going to have to. And it, it's a bit stupid. You're just not a fan of the Bat Train, are you? And what if, what if you're on an underground train station and the bad guys are on the street? Well, he doesn't just travel exclusively by train.
0: <laughs> you know, he doesn't have a Bat Rail card. <laughs> or maybe George Clooney does yeah, yeah for a card, yeah. Um I, I liked the opening pages um, Batman really does kick the crap out of these guys on page
1: 4 Scratches the jaws. the
0: one that you call scratching I read as he punches it in the face with the implausibly spiky well, gloves of death
1: he doesn't punch him he that, that, does punch him. That is not a punch, that's a... Uh, that's a, a bitch slap. That, is that well, what you're saying? Sort of. Yeah, but nails.
0: All right, ignoring the implausibly spiky gloves of death, he then picks up a baseball bat and kicks the crap out of the other three with the baseball bat.
1: Yeah, because that's what Adam West... I mean, I'm not saying they didn't deserve it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what Adam West would do. <laughs> The sixties but ba- I think we mentioned this when we did Nightfall, didn't we? But the sixties Batman TV show would have been much better if I had a Western Pleasure on Paul Valley. Yeah. In my humble opinion. Oh dear me. Uh, the fi- the final panel on page five, that's very known Fogel, where um Batman is just seen in shadow. Yeah. Flying away from whatever that statue is. A
1: guy and a horse. A
0: guy on a horse. Yeah. Page six, panel three. I thought this was unintentionally hilarious. There's a sign, there in the bank, when the Trigger Twins are robbing the bank, that says, ask about our IRA. IRA. So is is that really an advert in the Gotham Bank? Ask the bank teller about joining the IRA. <laughs> don't tell anyone. No, <laughs> don't tell anyone. We'll put it up as a sign. Come
1: under the counter.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. Over the years, many different artists and writers have come up with ways to get into the Batcave. From the fun, the Batpoles, which recently made a comeback in Batman and Robin number one.
1: Yeah.
0: The moody, the grandfather clock, set to the time Bruce's parents were killed. And the downright stupid, the way Val Kilmer D- gets to the cave play in Batman Forever. Piano? That not that Batman Begins? I
1: don't know. Where he know. plays
0: something on the piano. But no, Batman Forever, he's in his office at Wayne Tower, Wayne Tech, or whatever the hell they call it. Yeah. And he goes into his office and presses a button. And his chur goes down a huge tube <laughs> and deposits him in the back cave. And you're like, who contracted that? <laughs> it sounds fun. Yes. <laughs> Can you see him explaining it on the plans? <laughs> I don't so, so I wonder- Mr. Wayne, what's this big tube <laughs> that leads from your chur to a cave under your
1: house? Now, as you know, I never had parents, and I never really had a childhood. So sometimes I get bored, and I just want to go down a big slide. <laughs>
0: It's like that advert that was on telly for a bit, well, with the, the guy coaster. with the mastercard, yeah. and he would just put him in um, a water slide as he travels to work, and he just mastercards his way through yeah. life. Yeah, it's possible. That'd be fun. It would, yeah. On page 18, to go back to what we were actually talking about, which is funky ways to get into the Batcave. <laughs> 101
1: ways, to, 101 get bat ways cave. to get into a 101 ways to get into
0: a Batcave. Tim gets into the Batcave by draining a well and then climbing down into it. I mean, well, it doesn't well, do him any good, because once he gets into the cave, he's greeted by a different kind of dead end. Where did all
1: the water go? Uh, I've, I've, yeah, yeah. Where did all the water come from? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't confuse me <laughs> with your logic. It's, it's a big cave when he gets downstairs. Yeah, well, maybe they
0: didn't think that through too. Well. Page 23, the train has an advert for Jurassic Park on the wall. Did you notice that?
1: Yes. I thought that was. You know, me and one of my friends annoyed all of our other friends by singing the Jurassic Park theme really loudly.
0: <laughs> no, we, we,
1: we did the.
0: Um, there's not really a lot to say about that first issue, is there? Really? It's eminently readable by Chuck Dixon with lots of seed planting from the future, but the plot's pretty non existent. Mm. It's all just set up. For the next two issues with the Trigger Twigger Twig- Twins. Twig- Twins. With the Trigger Twins.
1: With Twig- the Twig- Trigger Twins. With the
0: Trigger Twins. There's nothing anything wrong with it in this particular instance as the setup's fun. But I'll be honest, I can't see this updated version of the Trigger Twins being any kind of real threat for this new Batman. Well, especially okay. as they are very,
1: very, very stupid. Well, hey there, I got a gun. <laughs> Let's go
0: shoot some people. <laughs> yeah! The first scene, they take each other's masks off in the bank. So, all the customers and presumably any CCTV Did cameras can see their full faces. Names, ages, and dates of I don't birth. know if they say each other's de- ages and dates of birth, but I think hey, they see. Hey, Tommy names.
1: Harrison, born on the 12th <laughs> of December 1963. Oh, uh, you know. I presume
0: these are the kind of lame but likeable bad guys that Dan Didio, in his quest to turn the DC universe into a largely funless place, has had killed.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you know
0: anything about the Trigger Twins in current continuity? I don't know, no. Okay. Um, well, they're not in Blackest Night.
1: I can check if you wish.
0: You don't have to do it now, but we'll mention that next week. I'm sure the the dead in Blackest Night, which would tie into what I just said, wouldn't mm. it? Uh it's a solid, if unremarkable, start to Jean Paul's tenure as the Batman. Uh there's an excellent two page letters column. I always like letters columns that are over a page. I get bored of them. Yeah, well, that's because you're from an era that doesn't have letters columns.
1: I read the Grant Morrison ones in *Invisible just Of course you do. There we go. How long
0: into the episode before he
1: got mentioned? Those of you that had 22 minutes in the
0: pool, you just want a fiver. Um, there's an ad for Skybox's Milestone <laughs> we should Trading do that. Cards. We should, we
1: should run bets.
0: Yeah, but if you do it, you'll know when to do it. Me and your mum should do it. See how long it is. Now it's, it's a completely different thing. Uh, I like the Milestone books.
1: Uh, Wasn't that the the um, Dwayne McDuffie? Yeah, Icon com- and Hardware. Every, every black person in comics is stereotypical, especially the black guy in the spirit. I'm going to make my own black comic book.
0: Yeah, and they were very good. Yeah. Static was exceptional. Um, I like the Milestone books a lot. Wireless controllers for the Sega Genesis. Wow, wireless controllers. And the Super NES. Uh, the TV show Sequest DSV. Which started the same night that as Lois and Clark. Panel, yeah. It's Roy Scheider from Jaws. Oh yeah. We're going to need a bigger boat. It
1: uh, but it also
0: starred yeah. Stacey Haydock, yeah. who was Lana Lang in the Superboy TV show.
1: Okay.
0: All comes back to Superman. <laughs> uh, Zero Hour has an advert. The Bloodlines crossover. Specifically, Eclipso and the Demon, which featured the first appearance I of I Tony Monaghan. Demon, well. uh, Legion of Superheroes Archives and the Metal Men characters that... I really could never bring myself to curve for, to be honest with you, no matter who was working on him. My favourite ad, though, is the typically over-the-top hot comics
1: adverts. <laughs> Red hot! Which are always my favourite adverts in 90s comic books. See, th- there's some 90s adverts, especially in Vertigo around that time, where I'm sat reading Preacher or Sam and I can say, oh right, I, I can know when this is, because it's an advert for Hard Rock or Unplugged.
0: Yeah. So, this one's particularly good, because I don't know about you, Michael. Yeah. I mean, I know you weren't alive at this point, but I really am kicking myself that I never bought such hot comics as Arcadia, a comic uh, about video game arcades. Cool. Uh, yeah, I can't be down like, with like, that. Electron. Like yes, pretty much. Brigade. Nice to see the fire service getting some blood, there. Though, Bloodshot. I wonder if that's a book about alcoholism. Bloodshot Eyes. And Hardcore, a comic about the porn industry. Just what the comic industry needs or hard case oh, this is another part of comic book <laughs> <damn>. what quality <laughs> some 90s comic books were they were proper hardcore yes they were however we are talking about quality 90s comic a books a red hot comic a red hot comic it's so stanching it in my hand yeah <laughs> um, next up detective comic 668 which has a cover date of November 93, but had an on-sale date of September 28th, 1993. One, two years and one day before you would come into being. Yes. Both these issues still have UK prices on them. A whole 70 pence. Um, implying there's still some kind of new stand distribution the cover for most of these is by Kelly Jones in a spoof of his earlier cover for Batman 497 this time depicting Batman beating the crap out of Robin instead of Bane beating the crap out of Batman uh, I like this cover I think it looks you yes it's Kelly Jones his hands what? are still dying
1: and his leg is like what yeah and that leg's come out I know
0: uh... I think we have mentioned in the Nightfall one though that you have to get past criticising uh, Jones as an yes as a reader, I instantly want to know why Batman's beating up on Robin. Not hitting on Robin, which is a completely different thing. Well, uh, let's <laughs> uh, run in this issue. Well, maybe, yeah. There's also a little corner box, just like Marvel Comics used to have. Mm. How oh, quaint! I quite like it. How quaint. The issue is called Runaway and was by the exact same people as the last issue. So just rewind the podcast, listen to that bit again, and then come back. You don't? Excellent. so that saved me saying all of that again. You didn't have to pause, because have Comedic effect? Oh, okay.
1: Possibly. Oh, sorry,
0: did I ruin your phone? No, you never ruined my phone. You enhance my phone most of the time. The story picks up exactly where it left off, which is quite impressive. Batman is hurtling towards a speeding train in his new Bat-Train. Of course, Harold's trained at the feet of Hart Solo and has made a few special modifications. Batman swings the canopy around to face the opposite way and engages the forward jet engines, propelling the BAT train backwards and away from death so has its own theme
1: too. John
0: Paul is exhilarated. <laughs> <laughs> he is, yes. At home the next morning, Tim Drake gets his driver's licence despite not yet being sixteen. Apparently he can have a special licence because his dad is disabled, and Tim isn't going to let a little thing like not having a car stop him. Yes, you can drive at sixteen in America. That's why all those American television shows have them doing driver's ed in school.
1: okay.
0: Which I always thought was a bit stupid. Well, they're taking you out of proper school to teach you how to drive.
1: Uh, but and yeah. also, w- does the same rule apply in England? No. If one of your parents is handicapped? No, as far as I know. Oh. Good, I saved you two broken
0: legs. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the Trigger twins, flushed from their success with Manny Deech, are given another job. Dirty Dan has figured out that all his earnings from the subway are moved by train in the middle of the night, and he wants the twins to hold up the train and steal the money. A train job. A train job. With these two Western characters. Yes. Needless to say, they're made up by this. Dirty Dan says he's figured every angle, nothing, can go wrong. Oh. Hmm. That's your hand for everything. Yes, everything is going to go wrong. Subplot alert! A shadowy figure calls up a film studio and pitches them an idea. This subplot will come back later. Robin is spending the morning trying to break into the Batcave. He uses the old tunnels he discovered when he first learnt that Bruce was Batman. Jean-Paul isn't around, but it suits Tim just fine. He's just out to get what he came for and sneak the hell out. Jean-Paul is in the cave, though. He's over at the rail tracks. He's ripped out the passenger seat and installed a computer system to show him the underground maps and inform him of any changes to the schedule. Does that mean Batman invented <laughs> GPS? Yes. <laughs> so he, he, goes... he
1: has his own bat-bat. Bat-what? Bat-bat. What's instead of that? Instead of a, a bat-bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do like that idea. And you can program it to talk to you, like... Turn left. Turn left. Or it would just be Alfred. You know like, <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> take the
0: next left, sir. Apparently you do not wish to take the next left, <laughs> sir. That's fine. Take the next right, sir. I'll just remember this when you want food. <laughs> Batman heads upstairs to check out an alarm in the cave. Robin, however, has found what he's looking for—a car Bruce promised him if he passed his driving test, called Redbird. Robin is now mobile, if he makes it out of the cave alive after Batman fires some shurikens at it. Batman wants him out. Robin says he's supposed to keep an eye on him until Bruce returns. Batman doesn't believe Bruce will ever return, and still wants him out. Fighty McFightenstein. Robin is outclassed, and Batman grabs him by the neck.
1: What did you say about this one, Michael? Right, so, there's going to be a train robbery going yes. down, right? Yes. Just after Batman found a battery. a coincidence. Yes. Pure coincidence. And also, why, why does Batman start a fight with Robin when all Robin wants is a car thing? Because, if you've not figured it out by this point,
0: Jean-Paul's a bit unhinged. Just say that? I, I want my car and I'm going to go. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, But then we wouldn't have a cliffhanger ending, would we? Well, how about? Oh no, the, the the back door won't open in time. The
0: back door won't open in time.
1: You know, like the, this the cave, right? Oh yeah. But then the cave falls out to be a bridge. Does it? Yeah. Is this not the hologram one? Or was it the Adam West
0: one? The Adam West one, the cave door drops down. Yeah. Right. I think it's still the hologram in this, isn't it? With the warning, yeah. keep out poison ivy sign. Warning, keep yeah, there was always a warning sign saying there's poison ivy here. don't come near this. Everyone else can come in, but you poison ivy. Yeah, only poison ivy's not allowed in. No girls allowed, we don't want you cooties. <laughs> <laughs> I thought page 1 to 5, how Jean Paul gets away from the speeding train, was really cool. It was so James Bond. His little eyes made up on that
1: last panel. Yeah
0: oh like, Yeah, he's like he's very excited by that. Probably a little bit more excited than he should be, if you have read the later issues where he meets Catwoman.
1: Okay.
0: It would explain why this kind of thing gets him excited. Uh, page eight. For a criminal, Dirty Dan's pretty smart. Uh, in the for a lets... criminal.
1: You're implying that all criminals no, are for a, stupid. For a
0: criminal, no, most of them aren't. For a Batman criminal. Quite a lot, yeah, for a criminal in a comic book. He's not stupid, in the sense that he doesn't leave clues, he doesn't hit big, he lives a, a quiet, modest, unassuming life and gets others to do his dirty work for him. And he does do him. a five-page monologue. And he does do a five-page monologue plans. explaining his plans. However, I did like that this subtly set up his downfall. You did it? Yes. Yeah. You, usually, you shall see when you read the next issue. Okay. Page 13. Nice continuity in that the cave hasn't been cleaned up since Batman's fight with Bane. Yeah. It's still a mess, though. And uh, Jean-Paul's added a shooting gallery. Yes. With shurikens embedded in Killer Croc's head. Woman. Which woman?
1: That
0: woman. Oh, yeah, well, presumably he doesn't want to shoot her. Unless he does. Well, maybe he does. As you'll see in future episodes of Detective Comics. He wants to shoot her. No, no, he's got a thing with women. Not quite sure what to do. Uh, page sixteen, all the old Batmobiles. Yeah, I thought they were pretty cool. I liked that one. What the it? old nineteen forties mm-hmm. one? Yes.
1: Which is basically just a, a car with a bat on it. With a bat on the front. You know, Alan Tross's brother made him that. The what proper, was a proper car? A proper car, yeah. Oh, a cool. one. And does he drive around in it? Probably, I would. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I believe that
0: you would. I like that. Yes, the the shot on page seventeen of uh, the Batman is pretty good. I do like there's always bats flying around him. Do you think he just has something
1: on his cape to attract the bats? No, he's got. The, see, none of them are real. He's just got like you know, like toys. Yeah. And there's something and He's got a little plastic stick
0: and <laughs> he just has them hanging off his, yeah. his cloak. <laughs> uh, I thought that this was a much better issue than the first one. Mm. The main confrontation between Batman and Robin is the focal point of the issue, really and we have more of an emotional investment in that. Jean-Paul is clearly unhinged and Robin isn't even out for a confrontation. He just wants what's his. But Jean-Paul forces the issue and starts firing. And it's a pretty cool fire scene. Or I thought it was. Uh, Robin even gets a few decent punches in.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, I'll be honest, at this stage in the game it was fun seeing Jean-Paul get a kick in. Um, But he is eventually totally outclassed by Jean-Paul. He's lucky he didn't punch punch him with the implausibly spiky gloves (laughs) of death.
1: Because
0: that just would have been... Would have been bad. Uh, the split between Batman and Robin is, of course, set up for Robin in his own book, but it's a logical move that works well within the storyline. Elsewhere, the Trigger Twins subplot bubbles along nicely, and there's a new subplot concerning the Joker that's nicely handled. A much better issue than the last one, and the last one wasn't bad,
1: no. or I
0: didn't think it was, because it's not villain of the month story, but it's about the main characters. Uh, did you enjoy those two issues of Detective Comics? All told, you were all right. Well, I thought they were eminently readable. But I always was a big fan of Chuck Dixon. I prefer the
1: Lighting like, of the Dark. Is it like, No. The Shadow, of the, Shadow Bat of the Bat that we'll be covering stuff. in a minute. Right? I always like Shadow of the Bat.
0: Shadow of the Bat's normally very good. Mm. The Alan Grant stuff. Uh, some good ads in this one as well. The one for the DC Comics adaptation of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, exactly. Legion 93. I don't know. I never read it. Oddly given that I read everything else Hitchhikers I never read the comic Calendar. it may be good I mean Douglas Adams didn't write it did he he burned it well by which he said yes give me some money and you can make a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy comic at least he's
1: not doing it album all
0: no anymore he's dead um, I think they did the restaurant at the end of the universe as well but I couldn't be wrong about that uh, Skybox have a series of Nightfall trading cards
1: Everyone has a series of trading cards.
0: Well, it does seem to be... Dawson's Creep probably has its own series of trading cards. ...of trading cards. You we couldn't fit Dawson Leary's head on a trading we card. Got
1: to, we go to a comic mart and there's nothing but cards. One stall does have nothing but cards. That's very true. Too
0: even. Scott used to cheat with trading cards and just buy entire boxes. Yeah. So he could have a full set. Fair enough. <sighs> Whatever. And there's the 1993 annual crossover Bloodlines again. There's a fantastic piece of Grummet Hazelwood artwork promoting the new Robin series and Superman asking for donations to the Red Cross,
1: mm.
0: which is quite nice of him to do that, I <clears> suppose. <throat> uh, DC want you to buy a subscription to their comics and they figure the best way to do that the best way to entice you in as a young male reader into reading comics is to show Catwoman with her costume conveniently ripped over a cleavage and her thighs and her arse.
1: I don't know what the connection is, but God damn it. But God damn it, I'm buying comics. (laughs) (laughs) Snickers! Uh, Where do I sign up for that?
0: Uh, Again, the best ads are the hyperbolic comic ads for the time. This time from ETN. Lobo has a new series coming out that comes with a foil zipper cover. Mm. Uh, I don't know what a foil zipper cover is, but I hope Little Lobo it's, doesn't get trapped in it. It's got, a, it's got a zip on the side. Well, that's what I mean. It's like You unzip it, and Little
1: Lobo <laughs> flops out. Wouldn't, wouldn't that make it slightly pornographic? Oh, dear Was me. it Alan Grant? Because doesn't he usually do... Like Alan porn. Grant normally did
0: Lobo. I never read any of them, but apparently this is a new violent monthly series. And red you can, Hot! Yes, it's Red Hot. And you can buy three copies for only
1: $2 a piece. Why well, would I want three copies? What
0: a bargain!
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm, I watch TV shows to be some rich kid saying, yeah, I've got three copies of this game. Why oh, would you want three? What do you want three? You can only read one at once. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. Marvel's
0: One apparently will be on! Red Hot. Yes, indeed. I suppose they weren't too wrong about that one. What? Marvel's One was... Red Hot for
1: well, sure. It, it
0: did have Human Torch in it. And, oh, and it's still in print, unlike an awful lot of this crap that they've got on here. Yeah. Nova, number one, has a gold foil cover. Ooh. How exciting this is that? Nice I joke. know you'd be excited about that because you can sit and stroke it. <laughs> uh, ninjak, number one, has a chromium cover. What chromium. the hell's a Ninjak?
1: Isn't chromium a metal?
0: <laughs> if it's a metal cover, you would be lift it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. Warriors of Plasm <laughs> has a graphic novel out like a porno. Warriors of Plasm doesn't that just basically translate to Warriors of Blood <laughs> Which works, given that everything had to have blood in the title in the nineties. My favourite was Bloodwind. Which which just <laughs> G- sounds G- like it sounds like you're passing gas and you have a leakage, yeah. <laughs> oh dear me. The hottest superhero line, the ultraverse, oh, yeah. only gets hotter this month with rune. <laughs> I've no, I don't have. No, don't look at me. I have no idea what an ultraverse is.
1: Medieval. Are you something. Stone. Yes, something yeah. like that, isn't it? Oh,
0: God. I love 90s <laughs> comic book adverts for other comics. Our next issue. Uh, I can't actually see the cover because the light's bouncing off it. Uh, it has one of those 90s covers that we've just been ripping the piss out of. Uh, it's an embossed thing. By Tom Grummet and Scott Hall. Yeah. Oh well, I was just feeling the embossing, but careful not to feel around Robin's crotch <laughs> I don't like want to stroke. Because him, I don't um, want to stroke Robin. Yeah, well, the, the thing with that is he's underage, <laughs> so that could be considered wrong. God but, damn, I was underage two uh, weeks ago. So we're not we're not going to we're not going to go anywhere near that. Um, I think this is pretty damn good. It's by Tom Grummet and Scott Hall. It's curling at the edges because it's a card cover. Mm-hmm for some reason uh, there was a regular cover as well this one has Robin leaping through the round window presumably to attack Big Ted and Jemima um, there was a regular cover as I say by the same art team of Robin avoiding gunfire whilst leaping over Redbird well no he didn't jump through a square window which would have been really cool yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, play school. We do miss you. Uh, the issue came out on October 5, 1993. It was written by the mighty Chuck Dixon. He's busy this month. With art uh, by Tom Grummett and Scott Hanna. Adrian Roy did the colours. Tim Harkins did the letters. Jordan B. Gothenko Go! was the assistant editor, and Denny O'Neill was the editor. The title
1: was Outcast. Is he going to start writing poetry that doesn't rhyme,
0: <clears throat> or is he going to start singing Hey Ya? Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Batman is holding Robin by the neck in much the same way that Darth Vader held the Rebel on the Blockade Runner. It's fair to say Robin's a little bit panicky.
1: Is his claws not like scratching into his neck?
0: Well, you'd think that the implausibly spiky gloves of death would be hurting him at that point, And you'd also think that at this point Robin wouldn't be wearing red trunks. Maybe he'd be wearing brown instead with a little bit of yellow stainage. Brown was
1: in in the 90s. Well,
0: yeah. He knew dying was a real possibility, but against the Joker, or Bane, or the Scarecrow, not against Batman. He pulls the R off his chest, because it's a throwing star, and plunges the sharp end into Batman's forearm. Like Superman's S was also yes, a throwing star. Yes, it's just a minor distraction. The pain shocks Jean-Paul out of the system, and he hurls Robin down and tries to explain. Robin's not having any of it and takes off in Redbird leaving Jean-Paul muttering that he's only tried to do what's right in the desolate ruins of the Batcave at the Gotham Heights Country Club five masked bandits rob a bunch of cars opening fire on some renter cops who try to stop them renter cops
1: renter cops I got shouted at by a renter cop did you? I've been shouted at by a renter cop when I was a kid it's funny I can't take them seriously uh, they're only doing the job uh, Tim
0: stashes the car in an old carriage house at the back of his property and laments that the next day he's going to have to be on the bus despite having a cool car at home. On the bus, he blows his mate Ives... Yes, that's really what I wrote. Oh, I'm sorry. On the bus, he blows his mate Ives' invite to a movie. Right, right. To go to the mixer. A dance, apparently. I don't know you young people in your lingo. With Ariana. Tim's got a girlfriend. Later, while Tim's on his date, the five carjackers from earlier are looking over their order forms and need some good old-fashioned American muscle cars. So they could get me a 1970s Dodge Charger? Maybe. I'd ask him nicely. Yeah. Black one. White white leather seats. Big big radial wheels. V8 engine. I'd be down with yeah, that. This is a burn notice. It me. is, yes. They decide to go to Gotham Heights High School Dance tonight, which is full of rich high school kids and their cars. And thus, the plot points all come together just like me and you know the uh, dance, no. everything is going well until an encounter with a football jerk Carl rank causes Tim to put his foot in it with Ariana on his way out to apologise he sees the carjackers trying to steal Carl's car Carl tries to stop them as he's been all city running back twice and boxes and weight lifts as the caption box is conveniently us. but is out of his league and nearly gets his head blown clean off fortunately Tim saves him and Ariana makes up with him. Which is nice for Tim The police show up Led by Shotgun Smith So named because He carries two barrels of 12 gauge misery Because the carjackers Stay in the suburbs City cops don't care At Blackgate Dr Simpson Flanders From Nightfall Is holding a regular Psychiatry session Psychiatry session With the clue master Zonk The electrocutioner And Cipher In the Zonk. civilian alter egos Naturalist. The guy who was in this Did you not read it? It goes tits up when the Clue Master takes control, and Cipher tells Flanders that tomorrow he will bring his homework assignment. Subplot alert! There's a lot of those. There is a lot of those. This is how comics worked back then. Later, Tim investigates the Speed Boys with a Z. Yes, it was the 90s, and learns that they only hit big events. Conveniently, there's only one tonight. And as Robin, he heads out only to have Redbird rammed from behind by Shotgun Smith, convinced Robin is a Speed Boy. He's obviously not a aware of, of Robin, despite the red and yellow costume with the large R on it, mm. and the fact that he's wearing a domino mask. Who can say? What did you think of the first issue of Robin?
1: Page five, panel two. Yes. Okay, with these, it's third, I think. Yeah. That's page three, panel two. Oh, uh, I'll that anyway. Okay. Right. He's like, a, I, I don't know why I did that. Yeah, but, but we're friends, right? It's like I, I only hate you because I love you. You're <laughs> making me do this. <laughs>
0: oh, dear me.
1: Uh, page 9, part 2. Yes. That that description of the film that I'm watching. Yes. It, it's the Terminator from that Schwarzenegger film. that film that, that competes against Jessica Parker and Field. Or it's Demolition Man. It's Demolition Man,
0: you fool. Well, I presume it's Demolition Man. Yes, because on this was released. Issue. Well, on the next issue, there's a, there's an advert for Demolition Man, which kind of, of gives it away. Um, Ive says he hates Stallone movies, but he's willing to go and see this one because it's sci fi. It's. Oh. It is Demolition Man? Yeah, it must be Demolition Man, even though there isn't an advert for Demolition Man in this issue, because Judge Dredd was a couple of years away for, at this point, and Demolition Man's a fun flag, and Judge Dredd is bloody terrible. And Demolition Man's advertised on the next issue. Is it? Yes. Yeah. So it's not advertised in this one. Oh no you're absolutely right yes on the next issue we're going to cover there's an advert for Devilish Man so that answers that question Devilish Man was quite yeah. fun Demolisher Man was great I really enjoyed Devilish Man uh, I love that Robin's R is an offensive weapon mm. <laughs> I think that's really cool um, I think this was in Robin's mini series that preceded this ongoing comic book there are printing errors in my version of this did you <laughs> notice no I didn't page know two. What? page 2 page 11 look at the colours the colour of his, his jumper and then page 11, page 14, and the letters page all look like one of the colours has dropped out, it's like yellow hasn't printed. And then when you have a look on the letters page, which is all I mean, it's not as affected the letters page as much. The the R should obviously be yellow, yeah, on the last page, but then there it is, it's pink, yes, it's pink. So, I mean, I don't know if this is just my copy. I presume it's an entire print run, not just me. Uh, page 18 to 19, Tim has a high school life reminiscent of early Spider-Man, replete with a Flash Thompson and everything. Tim isn't quite the loner that circumstances force Peter Parker to be, but, you know, it's the same thing. Um, did you enjoy reading this? This was £2.20? Really? What's that cover? I don't pay that much for my comics now!
1: Yes, bloody hell, exactly. two pound
0: twenty for the Ponzi cover. Yeah. And it was not like me to buy Ponzi covers if there was a choice between a Ponzi cover and a regular cover, I'd only bought the regular cover. Wait, why are you going on about this now? Why couldn't do it like I, twenty I, years ago? Because I'm just thinking two pound twenty in nineteen ninety-three was a lot of bloody money. Um Did you enjoy it?
1: it was alright is that going to
0: be your sum up for all of them
1: I'm not a big fan of
0: Robin I love this I thought it was an excellent first issue Dixon sets up Tim Drake's status quo quickly and economically within the first half of the book Robin's on the outs with Batman and school and his social life and all that gubbins and sets up problems for Robin in the latter half of the book with two potential bad guy scenarios and a meddlesome police officer the art is fantastic throughout I love Tom Grummett's stuff um, I like Tom Grummet from when I first saw his art on the Titans hunt storyline in the 90s, in the Teen Titans. I thought the Teen Titans in the 90s was pretty crap for the most part, <coughs> but Grummett's artwork is just fantastic. His work on Superman, Superboy is phenomenal. Why he never became a bigger name in the comics industry, I'll never know. When
1: Rob Liffield's still Yeah, it's though. just,
0: it's not for... Uh, the Robin boot doesn't officially cross over with Batman again until issue 7 but we will be mentioning it in passing. The ads are pretty much the same as Detective Comics, except for the ad for the trade paperback collection of the second Robin miniseries, which was called Joker's Wild, with art by Travis Charest. The letters page has letters about the third Robin mini-series, Cry of the Huntress, which I don't think I've ever read. And whilst it's nice to have letters page in the first issues, a bit of a text piece would have been nice. Mm. There's also a DC Universe page detailing the characters from the new Bloodlines crossover, and they are without doubt typically 90s some of the names just off the top of this page nightblade razor sharp terra smith <laughs> and sparks that's just terrible hey, man I like Hitman. Yeah, Hitman was the only good thing to come out of this. Around this time, September 21st, 1993 exact, to be exact, so in between the two Detective Comics issues and the same day as Shadow of the Batman number 20, the new Batman made an appearance in Superman 83. Written by Dan Jurgens with inks by Joe Rubenstein and called On the Edge, Superman journeys to Gotham to invite Batman to the ceremony and to take care of the Engine city problem. Batman declines. Superman is tempted to peek under the mask with X-ray vision, but decides against it. That's it. Right. One could argue if anyone would know it wasn't Bruce under the mask, it would be Superman, but apparently that's not the direction the writers wanted to go in, and thus that was pretty much all we got of Superman meeting Jean Paul Valley. Next up, Shadow of the Bat, 19 for part one of The Tally Map. This came out on September 7th, 1993, cover dated late October 93, and was written by Alan Grant with art by Vincent Giarrano, I think, colours by the eponymous. The eponymous, the ubiquitous Adrian Roy in Letters by Todd Clean. It's an excellent painted cover by Brian Stelfreeze and depicts the new Batman taking out three bad guys with nearly a breath wasted. There seems to be fingerprints all over my cover. All told, it's a better cover than Robin Wall, simply because it's not printed on the card that's curled up. The story opens in the chill of the night. At the scene of a crime, gangbugs are robbing a grocery store. Like a streak of light, the Batman arrives just in time to stop the owner being perforated. Batman takes down a number of the punks easily and decisively thanks to the implausibly spiky gloves of death, but one of the punks grabs a hold of the store owner and threatens to kill him. Batman sees Red and beats him until the punk pleads for him to stop. Batman sees an advert for the ISO tank and decides after this maybe he should avail himself of a self-deprivation tank. Across town, Big Mike Mahoon, so named because he's about the same size as Looper Looper, is celebrating his birthday. Turns out Mike's operation is working out real well at the moment because he keeps his operation small and thus unnoticed by the authorities. Much like Dirty Dan in that issues the issues of detective comics. I
1: think a Little. Yes.
0: Not unnoticed by others, though. From out of Big Mike's cake pops, not a nubile yet topless dancer, but the Tallyman, who accuses Mike of welching on a debt with Joey Buto. Big Mike blames the Batman for the problem, tries to bribe Tallyman, but Tallyman shoots and kills Big Mike and his entourage, and says his brother Johnny and the Batman are next. Jean Paul, meanwhile, unsure of himself in the wake of nearly beating a punk to death, takes to a self-deprivation tank at New Age Supplies to find himself. Yeah. He sees visions of the Order of Saint Dumas and his past as a child being brainwashed by the system. Simultaneously, the tallyman learns from Big Mike's brother's wife hmm, that Johnny Mahoon is tending to business at. You guessed it, New Age Supplies. Johnny and a goon named Willie arrive at New Age Supplies as Batman is in the tank and, spotting his costume on top of the self-deprivation tank, open fire. The Tallyman hears the shots and heads in. However, the tank was not THE self-deprivation tank and Batman emerges from another tank. Tallyman arrives and finds the beaten bodies of Johnny and Willie in a tank and a bag of cocaine cut open across their chest. The Tallyman just opens fire and kills them where they lie. Batman is stood on a rooftop looking moody and thanking the system for planting a subconscious need to lay false tracks just as the Tallyman arrives and opens fire. What do you think of this one, Michael?
1: I really like Tallyman. Do you, what, do you just like Tallyman or do you like Alan Grant's Shadow of the Bat? I like Tallyman. Oh, okay. I read him first in this and he was cool. He's a nut job! I liked him though, he was <laughs> cool. Okay, fair enough. And... I thought of page 8 panel 1. Yes. This one doesn't have page numbers. Oh, yes, it does. See, I do quite like the answer, But how is that building like
0: that? <laughs> I don't. It just looks like a big lamp, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, okay. okay. And on also on page 8 panel 2, who's Big Mike? The midget or that woman's breast? I, I, I think that that's the midget. Right. Not the boobs. Well, well, I was going with the name Big and all. I thought, uh, was, yeah. I thought you were talking about a her. Look at that, her. That's really Lonnie Anderson. Tallyman looks like a Tim Burton character. He does, doesn't he? He does look like
0: he'd be at home in Nightmare Before Christmas. Well,
1: I mean, all the buildings in this look like um, they're out of a Tim Burton movie.
0: Well, after the first Batman film in 89, they revamped Gotham City. Mm -hmm. A guy blew up loads of buildings in Gotham City and brought back the old architecture. Okay. So, and I do think Hampton first designed the comic book Gotham City of this era, just like he designed Gotham City in the Tim Burton Batman films.
1: Right, and on page twelve, panel two, the the same building is bending. <laughs> like the, these buildings are almost as bendy as the the one. Well, the when, the when it's Superman. really windy, why cartoons? The, the
0: Eiffel Tower does, yeah. <laughs> the Eiffel Tower does move. Okay. And so does Blackpool Tower when so it's really
1: windy. So, it must be really windy, either Yes, I would have thought so. Um, page ten, panel four. Yes, um, this panel is almost as funny as uh, the bit in Gremlins. You know, with the old woman. Oh, on the the chair left, the stir left. Yeah. Why? Well, because well, the midget is fine.
0: So, you're saying the tallyman shooting Big Mike is funny. He's <laughs> <Zeny him.
1: laughs> a little midget with his little legs kicking about as he's flying. It's dear yeah, me. Tossing
0: Midgets. Oh, dear. no, we're not going for Dwarf Tossing. I'm not having none of that.
1: Tossing Midgets is a yellow card album.
0: Is it? Yeah. Because Dwarf Tossing was actually a, a game.
1: Was, what it was it? Was it? Look it up. Kenny Baker-like dude walks up like, right then, let's play, shall we? <laughs> I was inside the
0: robot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Page one.
0: <laughs> I am really not seeing all the implausibly spiky gloves of death art carving huge whoa, 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 chunks of people's Look at that piece of
1: art, though. It probably is.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, he's just gouged out of that guy's face, off, hasn't he? <laughs> um, I started this really hating the artwork in this.
1: Mm, and by
0: the end, I'd really grown to like it. There's a cartoony quality to Giorano's art that really appealed to me as the story went on. But the guy can obviously draw real things as well. Witness the art of Johnny Mahoon's wife on page sixteen. There's nothing cartoony or stylized about that. In fact, she looks a bit like Murray Jane.
1: Mm, it it that looks a bit like Tim Burton. Not Tim Burton. Uh, Tim Sale. It
0: does. It does have a Tim Sale vibe to it. And when you compare the abstract art of the self-deprivation scenes, um, it really did grow on me. I really did like it. I'm not entirely sure what the Tallyman is doing on page 21, panel 1, though. Is, right. he, is he stood on something there? I got the is impression hovering?
1: that he was, like, flying Can in one fly direction. Now? but Well, not like, jumping. I kind of got the idea that because he's, like, thin and stuff, he kind of spins and flies. and oh, so, okay, But fair I, I thought he might have been, like, jumping and then heard something and, and spun the other way, yeah. It's a fantastic piece of art.
0: Mm. Um, Alan Grant's stories in Shadow of the Bats always had a psychological edge to them. And this is no different, as he uses the STD scenes to delve more into the system and its influence on Jean-Paul's mind. He gives short, short shrift to the tallyman in comparison. But, you know, there's another issue to deal with him. Uh, the ads are pretty much the same as all the others, given that they all came out in the same month, except there's one for the aforementioned Demolition Man. Um, Stallone's
1: best film out of Rocky and First Blood? Maybe. Possibly. That must mean all the others are crap
0: yeah pretty much they are the Rocky films are great the first Blood films are great Demolition Man's great Struggling to think of another good Sylvester Stallone film? I'm struggling to think of no Sylvester Stallone film. You mean you never liked Over the Top, where he played an arm wrestling champion? I've never seen Over the Top. You mean you didn't like Cobra, where he played Marion <laughs> Cobretti? <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Cobra was fun. the disease. cure. An the cure. Just drives up and crashes into another yeah, charity yeah. park. Oh, mm.
0: damn um, me. There's an art for a film called Only the Strong, which I've never heard of. And there's a great piece of Mike Zek art on the Deathstroke Annual. And finally tonight, Shadow of the Bat 20 is part two of the Tallyman, which came out September 21st, 1993. And lurking behind yet another fantastic Brian Stelfree's cover of the Batman taking a couple of point-blank slugs to the midsection from the Tallyman is an issue produced by all the same people as before, so I won't insult your intelligence by assuming you have the memory of a rock by reading them all out again. Plus, I'm a lazy bugger by and large, I can't be bothered. It's a fantastic cover, though. Brian Stelfreeze's covers for this series were almost always fantastic. Almost always? Yes. almost? Always. Only almost. Picking up where we left off, the Batman falls off the building, propelled by the impact of the Tallyman's bullets. He knows he's going to die. Suddenly, suddenly, it seems to me... I don't know the words to that sound. Suddenly, you're seeing me. Just the way I... How many other songs can we come up with suddenly in them? Suddenly, the system kicks in and Batman's arm jerks out and the implausibly spiky gloves of death embed themselves in the wall. Bones pop and muscles pull to breaking point, but the Batman slows his fall. On the roof, the tally man, believing he has killed the Batman, takes a minute to reflect, for the 67th time, how the kill never brings satisfaction, even though he wishes it did. Instead, in the theatre of his mind, he sees himself as a child and a loan shark taking all of his mum's money due to a debt of his dead father's, leaving nothing left with which to buy food. Down below, the Batman, giving himself over to the system fully, swings back up. The Tallyman opens fire, clipping Batman in the shoulder, but he barely notices. There's nothing of Jean-Paul, only the system. The Batman fires projectiles at the Taliman, ...and they embed in his arms. He rips them out with his teeth as the Batman fires a phosphor flow... ...demanding Taliman talk. Taliman says that Batman helps set up Joey Mahoon's death... ...and he's here to repay the debt by killing him. A loose cornerstone gives the Taliman the edge... ...and Batman falls. Taliman tries to shake off the effects of the phosphor... ...with memories haunting him. He remembers the loan shark returning, wanting more money. He remembers him beating his mum. He remembers rising up and beating the loan shark to death... His first kill. He remembers juvenile detention, the taunts, the bullying. He snaps out of it. The Batman is a wounded animal now and more dangerous than ever. He needs this 67th kill. He and Batman go at it, each driven by inner demons, each needing to win this fight, each exhausted. Each have their own inner demons to conquer, as well as the outer battle. The Batman has his father screaming, he is Azrael and will not fall. Tallyman sees his sister and mother dead upon his release from juvenile detention. Both men rise for the final confrontation. The Batman loops a rope around a water tower as Tallyman raises his weapon and pulls... The force of the water knock both combatants off the roof. Tallyman presses the attack. It's not over till one of them is dead, but the system kicks back in and Azrael returns. He beats the Tallyman down, but stops short of killing him, refusing the system. It hardly matters. Bullock and Kit show up and remark that the Tallyman has been brutally beaten. The Batman takes off into the night, still unaware of himself. Is he the Batman, or is he
1: Azrael? Great. Another bad guy with daddy
0: issues. Well, it's not really daddy issues, because his dad's dead. It's it's, it's what happened to his mum
1: after his dad died so, that's given okay. him his issues. Maybe we've got at least some mummy issues. Well, yeah. You never see that in comics or films. He's always daddy issues, never mummy issues. Yeah, that's very true. My mum accused me. Did
0: she? But no. Oh, right. Let's <laughs> not edit that out of context then, I we? Yeah.
1: No. I quite like the Tally Man. Now, I do know yes. that in the One Year Later story, mm-hmm. um, for, for some for some reason, Batman decides he needs help with his detective work. So, hires this other detective to do it for him, and it, that became a backup story in issues of Detective and Batman. Right. Now, in one of them, he goes to some place and gets beaten up by the Tally Man, who is a bald black dude. Really? Mm, even though this tally man is white, has a cameo in Infinite Crisis. Huh?
0: Well, DC went through a time where they obviously didn't know their own continuity. Mm. Well, see, the Danda seems to have systematically gone through killing off all the cool '90s bad guys. Wouldn't surprise me if he killed off the ventriloquist as well. I uh, love page we two.
1: Did. did he? Ventriloquist Ventriloquist's dead, and right. there's the, the Paul Dini run.
0: Yeah, I uh, love page two and three this well you've got to turn the comic on its side to be read. um this is an excellent technique when used properly that can really open up the art on the other hand it can sometimes be a really irritating gimmick like there's an issue with spider-man where it was all like that mm. and that's annoying
1: the the new x-men annual is when it was released it was this small thing and it was well in a widescreen fashion mm. But in the graphic novel, you've got me some pain in the ass to read.
0: Because it's on its side. Yeah. yeah. Page three, and throughout the issue, again, Alan Grant delves into the psyche of these people, giving the tally- Tallyman a credible background for what he does. Yes, he's a fruit back, but he's an identifiable fruit back. As with all of Grant's stories, there's a strong theme running through this issue... ...in addition to the plot, which is a strong superhero slugfest. In this case, the theme is a sense of identity. John Paul is still trying to figure out who he is... ...other than just being what he's programmed to be. Whilst the Tallyman is also trying to figure out who he is... ...a mother's boy or a man pushed to the edge. Pages 16 and 17 really emphasise this aspect of the story. Like two boxers who have gone the distance... ...the Batman and Tallyman each have to reach within themselves to overcome not just the physical exhaustion, but their own mental battles as well. Um, It's another excellent issue from Grant. On the face of it, this is 24 pages of two people beating the crap out of each other that actually seems one-sided. Batman versus a guy with guns. Who do you think is going to win that fight? But due to this Batman's instability and Tallyman's ruthlessness, this ends up being a pretty decent fight. However, what sets it apart, as with most of Grant's Shadow of the Bat run, is the thematic undertow. As any story worth its salt is about something that isn't immediately obvious, and what's it about is a common question in screenwriting class. This story is actually about damaged people. People so injured by the circumstances of their upbringing that they cannot function in regular society. This is also another indication that Jean-Paul is plenty insane, whereas Bruce Wayne was only obsessed Granted, Obsession didn't work out too well for Captain Ahab, but Bruce seems to manage it quite well. Uh, did you enjoy it as a whole? I did. Yeah, we'll get you all of Alan Grant's Shadow of the Bat stuff if you want. It's a damn good book, Shadow of the Bat. Mm. Of certainly the first 70-odd issues that Alan Grant did, uh, I, don't who who did it it. I don't know who wrote it after I don't know who wrote him. I don't think I have them. Um, ads, I didn't know they did a comic book adaptation of Demolition Man. <laughs> Okay, you did it. Um, it says on here, a four-issue miniseries adaptation of the Hot Warner Brothers film starring Sylvester Sloan and Wesley Snipes. Oh, it doesn't say who did the comic.
1: Mm. Great. I know... Um, Klaus Janssen. Klaus Jansen did the Terminator 2 adaptation. That's not very good, though, is it?
0: Yeah, uh, there's a great ad for Two-Face Strikes Twice, a, a, a miniseries I've never read, but this is great... Dick Sprang art in it yeah well it was written by Mike W Barr and in my notes I've actually put I may have to see if I can pick this up because I'm a big fan of Mike W Barr's Batman and I love some Dick Sprang stuff Uh, so I went on eBay and picked up both issues for a pound each so I have them now but I still haven't read them
1: I got home one time and mum was like oh yeah your dad dad said there's some comics for you and I go oh there's a package and they open it it's like right I, I don't want to sound ungrateful or anything,
0: but... <laughs> these out for, for me. Blood <laughs> uh, Bloodlines was apparently over by this point and was replaced by Bloodbath. Mm. Uh, never read it. And an ad for Dark Joker the Wild, which is an Elseworld
1: Under the that I've never read.
0: Who? It's Kelly Jones. Kelly Jones is an acquired taste. And thus, that brings to the conclusion, he says, as the Collects up his comic boots. Uh, the first part of Night's Quest. As I said at the top of the show, we'll be covering the Crusade first, and then the search at the end. By my reckoning, this is going to take us about eight episodes. So yeah, so uh, that'll take us up to Christmas. Lydia, yeah. uh, I hope you enjoyed this, and we look forward to hearing from you. And I hope you'll be back next time. Say goodnight, Michael. Good night, Michael. He <laughs> never gets old. <laughs> See you later. Hey Kids Comics is a the devil will make work for idle hands to do production. And all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com but you can also listen through our Facebook page which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.haykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on HeyKidsComics at VirginMedia.com we also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.